Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, it's uh, it's a beautiful time of year again. It is Make You Watchathon time. Uh, it's, it's, we're we're closing out what is the ninth year uh, of the podcast. So next week will be the first episode of the tenth year of the Televerse, which is a lot. And I'm just not going to think about that right now because I would be paralyzed. Yeah. I- I would not think about it if I were you. I would definitely not. We have um, enough to think about with just yeah. everything in the world right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, right now, Twitter is like, millennials feel like they're in a time warp because the killers and bright eyes release new tracks. Yeah. To which I went, I'm a millennial. I only know who one of those people are. <laughs> I think I might have heard of the killers before. Maybe. I've heard of Bright Eyes, so I know Bright Eyes. Um, Isn't Bright but, Eyes the name of like a movie that I should have seen but I haven't? I, I don't know. Bright Eyes. Question. I don't think so. I okay. just know. Turn around. Oh, was, was that? Oh, that the song. Turn. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's from like that's from Bonnie Tyler. I don't. Yeah. Bright Eyes is something else in this context. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of is Bright Star a movie that I should have seen that I haven't. Isn't that like a movie about a poet? I don't know. I haven't seen it. I don't know the band. But like, okay. you don't go to me. No one comes to me for Kate. No, no, what's no, no, that no. hip new band? And I go Penderecki. <laughs> I am not someone that you do that for either. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, so at, at the end of the show, Noel and I will be talking about shows that we each made the other watch, or in my case, made both of us watch. Um, normally, it would be Noel's turn to go first, but. We're going to have a lot more to say about his pick. So instead, I will be going first again. My pick was season one of Peep Show, which is a UK show from Mitchell and Webb. And I I can't remember which UK channel it was originally on, but we watched it on Amazon. Um, there are like nine or ten seasons. It's one of the longest running British comedies. Yeah, it's so... I was like going through the Wikipedia page and we'll get into this, but I was just like, how is this in 10 seasons? Yeah. Um, so, but we only watched the first season. Um, yes. So we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Uh, then we're going to talk about The Promised Neverland, which is an anime, the first season of which is already out. The second season is supposed to come next year, I believe. Yeah, it was supposed to be this October. Based on a manga, right? Manga? Manga, yeah. Thank you. Um, so so that, which I think the manga's already done. Yes, the manga wrapped up in June. The show is still in process. So um, we'll be talking about that at the end of the show as our picks. It's going to be, a, I think, a, an entertaining and fun conversation. I'm certainly looking forward to that. Uh, we have a shorter, smaller week in TV, but there was some interesting TV, some premieres and some other stuff that we've been watching. So that is going to be uh, our week in TV. Before then, though, we've there's some, there's some news we wanted to talk about at the top of the show. First of all, this week, um, on Thursday this week, it was announced uh, that uh, Chi Chi Devane has died, has passed away from uh, pneumonia. Uh, Chi Chi Devane, uh, or Xavier Davenport, was uh, uh, 34 and had previously had been in, in and out of the hospital recently, uh, starting with um, deteriorating health around uh, like a consistent uh, health condition, which uh, then contributed to the pneumonia that that he got so that is uh something that of course like 
my you know our thoughts have been with Chi for a while obviously uh beloved drag race star um both from you know his initial season but then also all stars uh there have been plenty of tributes online but um it's certainly a very sad thing to see and hopefully you know th- you know thoughts are with those who you know appreciate all of his work and all of the amazing amazing um joy and happiness that he brought to a lot of people do you have uh any like chi chi moments that stand out to you or were you a particular chi chi fan or did you even did you watch those seasons i, I think you watched all stars that year right I, I did watch all stars that season i was trying to think if i had watched season eight and i was looking over the list of queens and went i know some of those queens because they were in other seasons yeah um so i was just like yes no i did not see season eight um, cause that was 2016 and we had done like a make you watch a thon, I think that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you I were think it was out. in 2016 or 20. Yeah. Um, I think it was 2016. And so I hadn't like done that season yet. So I saw all stars, um, three. Um, so I vaguely remember Chi Chi from it. Um, mm-hmm. but not like super clearly because I mean, there's, there's just so, so there were so many shenanigans in that season. <laughs> yeah, there was. Yes, that that is true. That is a truth fact. Um, the the person I would most compare Chi Chi to in recent seasons, um, as far as like like the persona on the show and, and their energy and everything, would be Heidi. Um, so smaller town country queen, um, coming through and like like you know. What can I make for this runway? They had thousands of dollars that they were able to acquire to get their runway looks. I have some fabric and a trash bag. I'm going to make it work kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, absolutely charming. Really terrific presence and energy uh, that just elevated um, their time on the show. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a, certainly quite a loss for, for um, fans of drag, fans of drag race and, you know. So we wanted to make sure that we mentioned mentioned Chi Chi here at the start of the show. Uh, in other news this week, uh, the over at like it's a bit of it's a bit of a trend, a beginning of a trend. Um, this week we had Drunk History was canceled by Comedy Central, also uh, Touch Point but S we have notes here. But who cares? Eh, so somebody probably cares. We don't care. Yeah. Uh, other than obviously anybody losing their jobs, especially in this difficult time. Yes. Certainly. Um, but the specifics of it's this show, I don't have any connection to Tosh Pay now. Uh, listeners, you don't probably know this, but I still have drag, uh, I have drunk history in our notes for every week with a question mark next to it, which means that I need to check are there new episodes of drunk history? Because sometimes they just like release them with no warning. Yes. And so it, that is a thing I'm going to have to do probably tomorrow is go through and delete all the drunk histories that we're not going to need because despite having been renewed for season seven by comedy central, they were just canceled and was in production on season seven too. Yeah. They, yeah, they were at least in pre-production if not actual production. Um, so I will definitely miss drunk history. I would love it if it got picked up somewhere else. Peacock, come on. What are you doing? What you doing? I would watch the crap out of some drunk history on Peacock. It would be a show that would get me to watch Peacock. Um, I don't anticipate that happening, um, but I would love it if it did. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's part of that larger overhaul that v- Viacom CBS is doing over at Comedy Central, um, and particularly with all of like their that entertainment and youth group 
move that they're doing that's got a bunch of other stuff going on. Um, so it's really wild on like a couple of different levels with uh, Drunk History is like an Emmy nominated show that's gotten yeah, consistently of attention. Yeah. Um, and it's deeply beloved in terms of like people really enjoy watching celebrities get hammered <laughs> and try to recount historical events with really great reenacting. So it's a really entertaining show. And it can't be that expensive. I mean, some of those reenactments look expensive sometimes. Yeah. Um, um, so I think that just on like a shooting level, I think that that's like, it's an expense. Um, but Tosh has been renewed for four more seasons um, prior to this reversal, which is wild. And now it's just all done. So the 12th season that starts um, in the middle of next month is going to be the last season. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's bonkers as these, uh, mergers continue to really influence what, what's getting developed. Um, so something to keep an eye out on, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There were also two other Netflix shows that were canceled that I heard had previously been renewed. The Society and I'm Not Okay With This is, so that this is now like for this week. Yes. Um, both of these were canceled due to the pandemic, basically, um, apparently. Um, Netflix renewed both of these shows for a second, each of these shows for a second season. And then today, Friday, as we record, announced that they were canceling them both um, as a result of the pandemic and money and yeah. production and all this sort of stuff. To which I have not watched either of these. Um, so I'm not particularly familiar with what either of these shows are. However, um, I think a number of people in particular are upset about the society. Um, whereas I'm not okay with this. A lot of what I'm seeing is they just, that first season fell into the Netflix trap of it was a pilot season as opposed mm. to a season of television. Yeah. Um, so it was just getting going after its first season, which speaks to larger production issues on the Netflix development side than anything else so far as I'm concerned, but reversing course like this is not a good look for anyone. Um, But particularly Netflix, given the fact that they have this weird reputation of either saving shows, which isn't really an accurate representation of what Netflix does. um, And, but also nurturing shows, which is also no longer an accurate thing of what Netflix does that reversing course like this, I think will hopefully cause people to realize that Netflix is, Netflix is not your friend. (laughs) Netflix may be the end-all be-all of content in terms of what we care about in a cultural zeitgeist, but it is not your friend. (laughs) Um, And it is still, it still cares more about making money and developing that, developing that money than it does about your feelings. Yeah. Well, we say that, however, uh, we are watching Lucifer over on Streaming in Place which yes. is a show that we keep going like, thank you, Netflix. We, we appreciate Netflix. Thank you for giving us more Netflix. I appreciate Netflix. the Netflix money on Lucifer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we will not be talking about Lucifer here on the main podcast because we are talking about it you know, each day uh, over on Streaming A Place. As If you're, if you're on uh, subscribed to the feed, you're getting those episodes. But um, yes, we will not be talking about it here. Please do not send us spoilers. I have like... The notion of watching an eight-episode season of TV and talking about it on the podcast and doing that over the course of two weeks is, like, it's ridiculous. 
for for how I usually watch these types of shows, normally I would have watched all of it by now. <laughs> by the time yeah. we're recording, I would be caught up on the season. And so I've muted the hashtag. I'm hoping that's enough. Uh, we'll see if I need to mute anything else. Um, but I'm hoping that I can stay unspoiled for the whole like half season that we're going to talk about. But it's it's certainly going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. But you can check out those podcasts separately if you would like to hear what um, Noel and I, but of course uh, also Alison Shoemaker and Latoya Ferguson have to say about the upcoming season of or the current season of Lucifer. Um, there's one more bit of news here, which uh, is a very interesting story. It's really more of an extend, extension of our previous conversations about the situation working at uh, CBS, the writing, you know, the creative um, choices over at CBS. Uh, Noel, what's going on over at All Rise? Right. So this was a New York Times report um, that involves um, writers. Uh, five writers left the show, which is a lot of writers to well, leave a show. Five out of seven, we should say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, due to the show's depictions of race and gender, along with um, treatment of staff members of color, um, all circulating around the showrunner and executive producer, um, Greg Spot- Spottiswood, Spottiswood, um, who is white. Um, he is apparently has a long history within the show anyway of ignoring, rejecting, or resisting attempts to make sure that the show reflects the experiences of people of color, which is insane. <laughs> Uh, when you consider that the show is headlined by Simone Missick and you just go, well, that's, that's a problem. Um, so um, two, two writers um, spoke with the times for the story and there are various things about it, but like one of the things that um, one of the writers ran into is when they, brought up the fact that some of the things maybe were inaccurate regarding how Missick was portraying or was being written to portray Carmichael um, as a black woman. The question was, well, why does the character's race matter? Um, which is just delightful on yeah. any number of levels right there. Yeah. Um, there's but, a lot of other stuff. Um, I mean, there's lots ha- of reasons that that would matter, but as, for those who don't know, she's playing a judge in Cook County. Yes. So like, and that's, that's, but that's Chicago listeners. So like, she's a black woman in Chicago who is a judge. And then also isn't the bailiff black and. I believe so. Yes. But I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Um, They didn't, they did an episode where the bailiff got like harassed by the police when he's out jogging. Um, And then they were like, well, the judge would talk to the bailiff about this. And they're like, why? Like, I don't think they would. It's like, um, yeah, they, they, if the judge heard that this had happened, she would talk to this person that she works with. That's ridiculous that she would. And then isn't there, there's the, 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 one of the other characters, I thought maybe, maybe that was the bailiff. There was also a Latina character. Yeah. There's some stuff with, um, offensive stereotypes regarding, um, Latin American people. Um, that one of the cast members objected to and were removed from the script after the objection. Um, yeah. But no one within, it had to go to the cast basically before anything was done about it. Um, this has been sort of a larger problem within both Warner Brothers, 
which is the television studio that produces All Rise as well as CBS. Um, last year, um, complaints about Spotswood in, resulted in a review from the studio that basically went, well, this stuff's bad, but we're not going to fire our showrunner. So they gave him a corporate coach um, to sort of remedy the situation. Um, but Warner Brothers has basically maintained that there were areas for improvement, but didn't reveal any conduct that conduct that warranted removing um, the creator and showrunner Spotswood. Um, yeah. 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 Well, and I could have misread this, but I, what I thought I read in the New York Times piece, I, I read it a couple days ago, was that initially the writer's room, writer's room had seven people besides the showrunner. And mm-hmm. of those seven people, um, there were two white men and then five other writers. And the only people from that initial set of writers that was left were the two white women, the two white men. Yeah. And everybody else had left the show because they couldn't deal <laughs> anymore Uh, i think that's correct yeah yeah so that's when the especially because they changed the gender and the race of the main character um after getting dinged for having an all-white lead lineup cbs did and that they hired simone missick who's you know terrific we love simone missick her work on uh, luke cage is some of our our favorite uh she's terrific so like just the it's none of this is obviously on her. It's the, it's the right. Like the fact that that storyline where with the Latina, like being stumbling into an attack by a Latin gang where they all have uh, machetes, like that had the, the writers tried to tell them this is offensive. You, you can't, we can't, we got to change this. And they ignored them and only cut that scene when the actor said, I won't play this. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> I mean, oh, I just, I, it's crazy. It's crazy making. It's just like ridiculous. But anyways, I'll have a link in the show notes. Go read about it yourself. Yeah, no, it's just, it's really ridiculous. And um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know what's happening over there. But in both, in both instances, both CBS as well as Warner Brothers, um, yeah. both, both, both entities are having like larger issues with, this type of stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know what's happening over there. Yeah. We know exactly what's happening over there, but um, why they aren't choosing to fix it is. Yes. Is the larger issue is. Yeah. Yep. That will wrap up our oh so cheery news. <laughs> Bunch of gentle uplift there in our news section, but Hey, at least people are speaking out about their situations and experiences over um, at all rise. Uh, we're going to head into our weekend TV and we're going to do so by listening to a little Freddie Mercury. Cause you know, if I can, I'm going to put Freddie Mercury. This is the great pretender, which was uh, used in one of the shows we'll be talking about in our weekend TV here. So we'll take a break, listen to Freddie and be right back after this.
This week in TV, we're going to kick things off with the finale and closing ceremonies of Jelly's Marble Run Marble League 2020, which is, of course, the marathon. Then we'll talk. I'll talk briefly about Full Frontal with Samantha B, which was back this week for uh, August 19, 2020. Then Noel's going to catch us up on Great Pretender, which dropped. Uh, is this what? Where is this? Is this Crunchyroll? Netflix. Netflix. Um, so case one, one to one, three, Los Angeles Connection. Um, then I'll talk briefly about Winona Earp, Afraid. Noel's going to catch us up with Infinity Train Book 3, Cult of the Conductor. Uh, we have here the Musical Car, the Jungle Car, the Debbie Don Ball Car, Le Chat Chalet Car, the, co- uh, the Color Clock Car, the Campfire Car, the Canyon of the Golden Winged Snakes Car. That's uh, av- that's an Avatar animal idea right there. And the Hey Ho Whoa Car. So I'm very intrigued. And then we will round things up with, of course, Lovecraft. Lovecraft Country, which dropped uh, its premiere, it had its premiere this week on HBO, Sundown. So first up, uh, we've closed out Jelly's Marble Run, and I for the Marble League 2020. Well, I think while we have had our contentious moments yes. throughout the Marble League, can we agree that the most important thing is screw the speeders? Oh, God, screw the speeders. Right? Man, screw them. Just like, I, like... Savage Speeders, they they got the gold, came from, like, worked their way up, and fair enough, they did well, but, like, <sighs> stupid Savage Speeders. Um, yeah. no. But, you know, who Sean was your Minty Maniacs, because you guys demolished the marathon. It yes, wasn't no. close. No, we did. It was, we were leading for basically the entire second half. Um, so from lap 16 to 32, us all the way um and it was and i mean i wasn't quite sure how it was going to play because mellow yellow was looking real good mm-hmm. um up until that point and then it was just like yep nope i know how marathons work minty fresh just bolted and had like a solid like two to three second lead yeah um for most of the for most of the for most of the marathon, um, especially in the closing closing laps. So I was very excited and pleased, but then I realized it also didn't matter. <laughs> um, because the Savage Speeders and the Arrangers, um, particularly the Savage Speeders, still did well enough to earn points. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just like, oh, it, it, did, it, did, it doesn't matter. They got like seven points. They needed to get no points. <laughs> um, oh, man. So, yes. But also, we should mention uh, real quick that uh, Marcus, who joins us for Streaming in Place, um, his team, Team Galactic, did quite well in the marathon as well, coming yeah. in fourth um, in that in that race. Um, so they did they did pretty well and came in seventh overall, I think, which yeah. is pretty, pretty good. That's respectable, definitely. And I think that the Hazers did pretty good, is what I'm remembering. Yeah, the Hazers came and ended up coming in sixth, um, yeah. which I had basically given up on the Hazers because um, they were just doing so poorly. <laughs> um, it felt like they were doing really poorly, but then I mean, the Minty Maniacs were also just bad for like three events. Yeah. So, um, so that was the entirety of the Marble League. What did you think about watching a bunch of marbles? compete in athletic events uh, for the past couple of weeks? I think that, well, it's been super fun. And the social element has been the best part. 
I, no. I'm going to miss having our latest event to chat about on streaming places. We wait to get started with Marcus. Um, but, uh, I will say for the marathon, uh, I don't know how you would do anything about this, but I do think that it, part of what it was not as exciting as I wanted it to be once you got beyond the very front teams. And yeah. I think it was because there are too many. And so they just crowd and then they can't really, there wasn't much back and forth. You know what I mean? At the top of like you, the Minty Minis worked their way up, which was exciting. And then there was the back and forth of Mellow Yellow that kept things interesting. But once you got to a certain ranking, it like might go up and down one or two, but it didn't really change very much. And so I, I don't know how you would do if there was, if that's just how marathons work. Or if there was, it was because there were like marbles that would like crowd. And so then, you know, you couldn't have one get faster. Like it, there were only so many angles, right? There's only so many that you can fit at once. I don't know. But do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, it's not the best. I mean, short of like figuring out a way to goose it. Yeah. Um, I don't think that you can do a lot to make it more exciting. Um, I think that... I don't disagree with you that there are probably too many marbles um, within the competition, but also having watched um, good chunks of the Marbula E, which I, I recommend watching uh, listeners because it's pretty exciting. And I really like the color commentary for it as well. Um, even with that, I think that's about 12 teams. You run into the same problem where once they're stuck in the back, they're pretty much stuck in the back. Um, and I'm sure that there are reasons for, for that. Um, but it does mean that things don't really shake up too much, especially within the top four, which is what you see here in the marathon as well. So there's not really a way to change that up short of like turning the track into almost an obstacle course of sorts. Mm -hmm. Um, but then it's a different, it's a different event. Yeah. It's a different event. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I do agree with you that after a certain point, it just kind of becomes a little boring. It gets um, repetitive, yeah. Right, because any changes that are happening below, like, fifth place or so just don't matter. Um, because that's what you see happening a little bit, is that you go, oh, the Rangers are kind of coming back from the middle of the pack, and then it's like, they're not breaking through in yeah. any way, shape, or form. Yeah. This is very frustrating. Um, so that's that's that can be really irritating. And I think it's just the nature of this kind of a competition that that's how that works with these marbles. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, again, short of like trying to do something really turn it into a different event. There's not a whole lot you can do. Yeah. Cause you, you best believe I was watching the Savage Speeders versus a Rangers, like how far they were from each other. I was like, yes, my Rangers are not going to win this. Minty Fresh has it locked down. Well, well played, but can we, Get ahead of enough of the savage beaters, cause screw those tea, screw those marbles. Um, and no, not really. Uh, I was actually curious. I meant to look this up and I forgot to see what the starting positions were and how much difference there was with the final like order, because there were definitely some differences. Yeah, but I'm curious if anybody who was in the last like say five moved up in a significant way, not even to the top, maybe, but to like the high middle. Was that like a thing that could happen? Or if you started in the back, you were not going to move up. Okay. Let me look real quick. But wait, if it was in reverse order, then Minty should have been like third to last, right? 
or fourth to last going into so this. they they did that placement race first. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're right. Um, so let me see here in the grid. Um, hang on one second. So the Oceanics were the top in the grid, and they came in seventh overall. Um, let's see. I mean, the Minty Maniacs came in fifteenth on the grid. Okay, so um, then clearly my hypothesis yeah. is, is wrong. Yeah, they came back um, pretty yeah. far. Like the uh, the Savage Speeders were like second in the grid place and ended up ninth. Yeah, so, so there is there was more. I just didn't notice it because it probably happened in earlier. Yeah, it happened really. It happened pretty quick. Um, and so I think that there's just a couple of things. Is like again, they all get kind of bunched up. Um, and the straightaways I think end up making a huge difference. But then getting off the conveyor belt to start the next lap always is like a big thing in terms of how how quickly the marbles can kind of get Momentum. off that belt really ends up mattering a whole lot. Um, and there's no way to like jigger that really. Because yeah. I've noticed that with the Marbula E stuff, which you makes uh, use of the conveyor belt really extensively, that getting off that belt, especially if you both end up on the, the same level of the belt, makes a world of difference in terms of that back and forth. Yeah. So when is the next Marbula? Is that the next one that we should look for? So the Marbula E has been running since even before the pandemic. Um, it's been sponsored by uh, Virgin Racing. Um, and it's a, whatchamacallit, a riff on the Formula Formula E racing, um, which is an actual like auto racing event. Um, they get the guy who actually does the commentary for those races on television mm-hmm. to do these here. Um, and I think I've mentioned them before, like the first race, he's like, what am I doing? And then by the second race, he's deeply, deeply into it. Um, and again, it gets back to that degree of artifice that we construct around sports as it is. And so there's a real fun thread, especially within the Marbula one of the fact that the team that's sponsoring this competition is losing horribly. <laughs> um, so there's a there's a good bit of back and forth. And Greg Woods, who does the commentary for the Marble League stuff and most of the rest of the Marble uh, Run stuff, um, comes in on like the second race. Um, so those are those are really good. I think I've really enjoyed watching those. Um, so if you like the marathon, the Marble E stuff, I think is exactly what you want. Um, there's a couple of other sort of like weird obstacle course type marathons that are um, scattered throughout. Um, you just have to scroll through the videos to find them um, that kind of do the same thing. Yeah. Well, we will see listeners if we pick up the next set of Marble Run events when whenever the next thing starts. Who knows how long we'll be doing this uh, under quarantine. Yay! But for now, let's move on to our... Uh, our next show. I gotta say, we did pretty darn good. Second and third place. Like, yes. c- having, like, kind of, kind of randomly picked our teams. Mm-hmm. And then, like, a backup of sixth place. That's that's damn good. So, go team. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Stay yeah. five. Um, <laughs> uh, the next show is uh, Full Frontal with Samantha B. Uh, and I just wanted to mention this because of two things. First of all, um, I, I very much appreciate the hashtag that they have that they've determined for the election, which was a response to all of the press about how Biden is ahead so dramatically 
in the polls right now, like if the election was right now today and you could have, you know, a, a, a in-person election without killing people, um, he would win by a lot is what polls say. Um, and so uh, Full Frontal and Samantha B uh, specifically uh, respond to that with, what are you, do- what are you doing? What? Shut up. What are you doing? It's hashtag expect the worst 2020. Why? Don't assume that we got this in the bag. Do you remember 2016? Anyways, it's very good. Uh, it, it's it, obviously it's more artic- more articulate and entertaining and not quite that, but that's the general gist. And I'm very much for um, team hashtag expect the worst 2020 for this election. Um, the, also, apparently, this the shed got destroyed in the storms. <laughs> recent oh storms. no! So yeah, I haven't I did, watched this. I haven't watched this episode, listeners. Um, so that's very disappointing to hear. Yeah, I don't remember if that was in the episode or just as one of like the little bonus things that they do on YouTube. But um, okay, yeah. Anyways, goodbye, sweet shed. It you were a fun bit. <laughs> it was a very good bit. Um, I'm gonna miss it as much as I'm gonna miss Seth Meyers' uh, hair. Uh, yeah the uh, the the grand climax of the captain's quarters uh, shoot and everything. It, it was very good. Uh, I'm gonna kind of miss it when they're back in the studio next week. I'm gonna um, miss the sea captain so much, so much. I kind of want him to like make his way over to the final set. I will pay Will Forte a dollar for every episode he does. <laughs> it's very good. Our next show is Great Pretender over on Netflix. And we've got Case 1-1 to 1-3, Los Angeles Connection. Um, so all you know about this is Freddie Mercury. What is the show? Um, right. So this is a anime series um, produced out of Wit Studio, which is... I'm getting a little bit into the weeds and I apologize listeners, (laughs) but it's actually kind of important, Um, which is a subsidiary of production IG, um, which is a very big animation studio over in Japan. But wit studio is the studio that's responsible for attack on Titan, um, which is one of the most popular animes within the past decade. Um, And they also did um, one of the shows that I watched that they've done um, that, I really ended up really enjoying was after the rain, but they also produced Vinland saga, which you can watch over on Amazon prime, which is an anime about Vikings. It's supposed to be very excellent. I know a lot of people who really like that, both that series and that anime. Um, But great pretender is a con artist anime. And Kate, you know, I love a good con narrative. So do I. I'm intrigued. yeah, Yeah. So this is deeply stylish. Um, it's very much playing into like a dirty scoundrel sort of thing, but also like a bond sort of perspective, just generally a very slick, very bright, stylish aesthetic that I think is really fun and exciting to watch. Um, the basic premise of it is, is that a small time hustler, um, Japan by the name of Makoto Edamura gets roped into this large con by a French French con, con man uh, named Laurent, who is looking to initially scam $5 million out of a movie studio executive who also happens to be the head of a mafia. Um, because, again, we're in a con narrative. <laughs> because, of um, course, right? <laughs> yeah, right. 
Um, and they pass Edamora off as a doctor who's developed this um, super wild narcotic um, that then they're trying to basically sell to this um, this mafia guy who basically runs the drug trade in Hollywood and has the end to all the Hollywood elite. Um, one of the things I've, I've only watched the first three episodes of the show. Um, the first, I want to say eight are available um, here in the U.S., I think. I need to double-check to see what episodes are available here in the U.S. Um, but one of the things I like about the show is that they split up where they're located. So the first con takes place in Los Angeles, the next one's going to take place in Singapore, and the third one for the season will take place in London. So it's got this very kind of globe-trotting where are we going to go next type of deal that I'm really very into. Um, everything's kind of funny, but also just kind of slightly off. Um, they go to a Macy's in Beverly Hills. That's the swankiest looking Macy's I have ever seen. Um, <laughs> but also I refuse to believe that there's a Macy's in Beverly Hills. Um, but it's just, it's that kind of a thing that I always really enjoy when, anime go to other locations and go we did some location scouting we don't fully understand (laughs) how all of this works but it looks cool um there's plenty of other stuff but i really like the humor i like the aesthetics a lot um and i i love a good con narrative like and i'm really keen on this they've got an fbi agent task force that's after laurent um there's just plenty of fun stuff in the first three episodes that I really enjoyed. So this dropped on Thursday, uh, this thir- this past Thursday, so yesterday as we record. Um, so if you're looking for something that you like con stuff, I think that this is a really good choice. Um, so if you like like the Ocean's Eleven uh, Sodenberg films, this is, I think, very up your alley in a lot of ways. Um, because Laurent is very much in a Clooney, gentleman thief sort of mode. Mm-hmm. So it's very smooth operating type of thing. So I think that this is also a really good uh, thing to watch if you maybe aren't like super keen on anime. I think that this is a good sort of, so far anyway, a good sort of gateway-esque show, which is something I'm going to get into when we get to the Make You watch on because I feel the same way about the show I had you watch. Um, but based on these first three, first three episodes, I think that Great Pretender has a lot of potential to be very entertaining and accessible to those who may not even particularly enjoy anime. Okay. Yeah. What is the the release schedule like for this? Um. So let me pull up. The entire thing is already aired in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, well, sorry. So the first 14 episodes have aired in Japan. The next, basically the next half, which are episodes 15 to 23, are going to drop on Netflix Japan at the end of September. Um, so they're airing a little bit ahead of their like terrestrial, um, airing on J- Japanese TV. So I think we have the first eight episodes. Let me look real quick and I can tell you, cause I actually want to know too, for my own benefit. Um, I should note that they are all also already dubbed as well. Um, so if you are looking for a dub of this, as opposed to the, um, as opposed to the, whatchamacallit. No, I don't want to watch the episode. Hang on. <laughs> um, that if you don't want to do subtitles, the episodes are already all dubbed, which is nice. Um, let's see here. So they have aired. Ooh, let's see here. 
So yeah, they have uh, all the way through 14. So they're actually a little bit ahead of... They are exactly in line with the Japanese airing. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So they're in line. So they're in line with the Japanese airing. Um, So hopefully we'll get the second half, which the entire cases take that entire heist or con takes up the back half of the season. Um, And it's called wizard of the far East. Um, So that drops in Japan at the end of September. So hopefully we'll get it pretty quick after that. I want to hope. Um, but I'm not entirely sure, but so they've got the first 14 episodes, so they're caught up all the way through the first three locations. So LA, Singapore, and then London. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I will definitely, uh, well, I shouldn't say definitely. I will try to check that out. I'm behind on a few other shows, listeners, as you will hear shortly. Uh, so this will go underneath infinity train on the list of things I need to watch, but I will put it on the list because I am intrigued. Color me intrigued. Uh, next up is Winona Earp, Afraid. And I just wanted to mention that we're at uh, episode four of season four now. I enjoyed the premiere quite a bit. Um, so the premiere and what I didn't want to say, because spoilers, but also because of where we were in our Lucifer watch at the time, uh, the end of the Lucifer, uh, the end of the um, Winona Earp premiere revealed, or maybe it was the second episode, that the, the monster creature kind of thing um, that we saw characters dealing with um, in the garden was Eve and Eve was in a prison that couldn't be, um, that couldn't be, and couldn't be released was the, the threat. Right. Um, and, so, and of course this was at the same time when they were like, Oh, who's that mysterious woman with the apple teeny? I was like, ah, oh, the synchronicity. Yay. It's fun. <laughs> um, uh, but then the characters have gotten back to a uh, ghost of a triangle and, um, they're dealing with the Clantons. Why, why are we dealing with, why are we doing the Clantons, guys? Why are we doing the Clantons? Yes, like, the notion of, like, oh, that's the great rivalry, the Earps and the Clantons. Like, don't go to actual history, because the actual history around the Earps is dumb. It's not interesting. They were not interesting or good people. Um, and so, I don't know. We'll see what they do with it. Uh, certainly, they are going all in on this other supernatural cursed family that is, like, the anti-Earps. But you also don't have anybody talking about, we should probably discuss that Eve disappeared from the garden and may have escaped. And there was this whole, like, it is my destiny and my future to guard. And I must think from Waverly that they just aren't talking about because they keep getting thrown into new scrapes. And um, just the, the, it's like they are hoping the audience forgot about it, but we didn't because it was only two episodes ago. So I just, I, you know, and now, um, hot is endangered so that's the next thing right but I just it's doing a lot and I know that that's kind of their jam but I, it, it feels very strange to me that no one's talking about these larger issues and um, if only to say yeah that's a problem but first we got to deal with this thing that's immediately in front of us which is the the dried leaves or whatever that flew into and maybe are possessing hot or something. Who knows? We'll we'll find out soon. Um, So I am still enjoying these episodes, but there is a reason I have not been talking about them on the podcast. And that's because I have my skeptical eyebrow raised while Mm -hmm. still enjoying the episodes individually. Yeah. So 
we will see what comes next. Um, over on HBO Max, you've caught up with the first two weeks of Infinity Train, book three, Cult of the Conductor. Um, without getting too in-depth, what can you yes. say about this season? And, I mean, I've heard it's very good. It's just as good or better. How do you feel it stacks up to the other season so far? So... I'm really intrigued to see how this season finishes before I answer the stacked up question. Okay. Um, I think that they're, they're doing something I think a lot subtler than they have in the past two seasons um, so far in terms of the emotional arc of their two main characters, Grace and Simon, who we met in the Apex episodes. Um, both of these are the leaders of the Apex that we met um, earlier in the show's run. So we deal with them being separated from their army of small children <laughs> that they've recruited into this anarchist group of ne'er-do-wells um, who believe that the entire point of being on the train is to get your number as high as possible. Like that's the whole reason that they're, that's the whole, that's the raison d'etre of the numbers on the train is to get your number as high to as win. possible. To win, yeah. Is to win somehow. Um, they consider one one to be the false conductor and that the true conductor is the other rival conductor that we saw in, in yeah. book one. Yeah. Um, so there's um, there's those tensions there and they end up hooking up with like a cute wee child and that child's uh, null that the train manifest ma- manifestation character in this case is a purple gorilla with tubas around its shoulders named tuba and i love tuba very very much (laughs) so i think that there's a lot again there's a lot of like really mature things happening here that continue to expand the show's um universe um and its mythology in interesting ways i think um but it also raises like a number of questions particularly about grace and simon considering how long they've been on the train and what this means for like their lives outside of the train, um, which haven't been really addressed, but I'm really curious about to see how the show wraps up that particular element and that plot thread. Um, as you said, the first eight episodes of what drop the next two will drop. The final two will drop next week. Um, I still really, really like what they're doing. I still think that the show is really compelling, and really interesting and deeply affecting um one of the things that i do want to note though and this is particularly important for anyone listening who has children or is in quick contact with kids and young adults and i'm speaking also to kate here Mm -hmm. um because kate has students um the show has not been renewed for any more episodes um in fact the entire crew has been laid off and has gained employment elsewhere um it turns out that infinity train was always intended to be an HBO Max original. But because Max kept getting pushed back, they dropped the first two books onto Cartoon Network, hence the very unceremonious drops on Cartoon Network. Ah, okay. Um, So per per Owen Daniels, the creator of the show, whether or not they get more episodes hinges entirely on how well book three does on Max. Um, and he also was very specific to mention how many kids and young adults watch the show as well. Um, so I imagine like that metric is based on since HBO Max has profiles that you can then set permissions for, they can track that information. So if you, ha- if you are a family 
of kids probably between I would say 10 at least 10 is probably like a good place to start with this show <laughs> um anything younger probably not because the show can also get kind of scary well, um season two man yeah season two is just dark um and there's nothing I will say that so far there's nothing as super dark as season two um in the show there's like one really kind of gruesome thing that happens um towards the end of these episodes but nothing compared to what ben mendelson's character does um, in (laughs) book two um however if you have access to children (laughs) in some way shape or form please tell them to watch infinity train on hbo max so that we get more episodes of this very very good show um because i want more episodes of it um because it's very very good and i think it's a really strong error in a lot of ways to some of the themes that circulated in like late era adventure time and throughout Steven universe in particular, both of those shows. So definitely seek this out. Um, I'm really eager to talk to you about this season. uh, Once you get caught up and once the season ends this Thursday. Um, But yeah, so seek it out. Um, especially if you have children, please watch the show with your kids and then talk to them about the importance of dealing with feelings and issues of identity. And this season is aggressively about empathy and what that means. So all good things to talk to your kids about, but also right now, great things for adults to think about too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, okay, well, I am intrigued and uh, looking forward to it more now. Because when you start with, oh, this season's about those jerk kids in the, that one car, I go, oh, I'm I'm good. And then you go with, yeah, but but also it's about empathy. I'm like, damn it. Using my own words against me, are you? I see how it is. I am. But also remember that one of those jerk kids is voiced by um, Kirby Howell Baptiste. Yeah, um, that helps, which is pretty solid. Yeah. Um, the guy voicing Simon is a, a um, mostly an anime uh, voiceover actor that I really, really love. So if you've watched like the Mob Psycho, um, Mob Psycho dub, or if you watched Carol and Tuesday on our recommendation earlier this year, it's the same guy who voiced um, Tao, the computer programmer that was trying to create the perfect pop song using mm-hmm. one of our characters in Carol and Tuesday. Um, he is high grade terrific as Simon. Like, I really, really like what he's doing in this performance. So I think there's a lot to like, despite the fact that it's about those jerks from the Apex train. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. Um, well, our last episode for the week in TV is Lovecraft Country, which had its uh, premiere this week on HBO, Sundown. So uh, obviously this is based on the novel uh, of the same title, and it's from uh, Misha Green, who was one of the the showrunner, one of the showrunners on Underground. Was, was she the sole showrunner in that one, or was that a two-person? Right, she was the co-showrunner on Underground with uh, Joe Pocasky. Pokoski. Pokoski. Um, yes. Sorry, I just get to get to, I have to get Chicago-y. Pokoski. I don't, I don't know if that's a Polish name, but just like my Chicago in me just that assumes that that's the pronunciation. Um, so, so Misha Gree, obviously we're big fans of Underground here. We really appreciated that show. Um, you, uh, so you have not read the book. I have not read the no. book. Um, the, the structure of the book is interesting and I don't feel like this is a spoiler. So I'm just going to say it, even though some might consider it that, um, it's, it's an episodic structure where there are eight stories within the book that feature 
they're different adventures of some of the same characters, like um, people who are supporting characters in the first story get their own adventures with some, and then like the lead characters there become supporting and others, like it just kind of interweaves, but it's all in the same universe. And I believe the stories are sequential or like roughly, you know, so it, that seems like the perfect kind of thing for a TV adaptation, certainly for the kind of thing HBO likes to do. Um, the the setting right uh in post world war post korea america um I, you know and i already mentioned chicago the the some of the characters are from chicago um makes for you know period piece gorgeousness as far as like the oh, costuming it's so pretty guys it's really pretty um but the 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 central thing is that this is taking ideas and um concepts from lovecraft but putting them in stories with black American characters, African-American characters and um, notorious, incredibly racist writer, H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, how, how, what is it like um, to put this, these characters in that kind of a setting and, and to really explore what they're, you know, like there's plenty of parallels and things that they're talking about with, with this, but to, it's not just a genre exercise, it's also a history lesson um, in a depressing way, right? Some people, like, I, I knew a lot of people didn't know about Tulsa before Watchmen. I didn't realize that people didn't know about Sundown Towns before watching this. Yeah, that's that's really, that's depressing. And yeah, well, I'm also from the South, but yeah, yeah. I, I say that, but. Sundown towns existed all over the U.S. So. Well, the one of the main characters, the Courtney B. Vance character, has kneecap shattered outside of Anna. Anna's in Illinois, mm-hmm. uh, so so like so the thing. Oh, Anna, Anna, Illinois. Oh, I've heard about Anna, Illinois. Um, so yeah, uh, it's not it's, it, the the main characters are um, one of the main characters is Courtney B., played by Courtney B. Vance, and he writes for a guide for. So, so that Black Americans know where they can be safe when they're traveling. Yeah, and I think he publishes it too. And he publishes it too. People that didn't know about Sundown Towns, and yet Green Book got Green Book an got an Oscar for Best Picture. It boggles it boggles my mind, but better that they this helps them know. Um, so there's a lot we could talk about around that context of the show. And I think it's really interesting and really compelling. But I think we should start with, what did you think of it? Did you like it? Are you going to be back? Oh, no, I'm definitely going to be back. Um, I think that it's deeply, deeply compelling, um, mainly on an actor level for me in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Um, yeah, the cast is fantastic. We've got Courtney B. Vance, who is incredible and great um, as one of our leads. And I love Courtney B. Vance in pretty much everything. Um, we've got Jonathan Majors, who I have not seen in anything yet, um, because I have somehow still not watched The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's supposed to be just fantastic, I have not watched it yet. Um, but he's really, really great as Atticus, um, who is ostensibly our, like, entry point main character. Yeah. Um, but then we've got Journey Smollett, um, who you and I both love from Underground. Yeah, um, and, and for me, Friday Night Lights. And Friday Night Lights as well, who I only know from Underground. Um, but she is also just ridiculously fantastic in this first episode. Um, she also gets, like, a lot of really good stuff to play, though. She gets, like, the best moments. When she comes running out of that bathroom, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> it's so and good. just every, all of it is just, 
that whole car chase out of that town. Yeah. Is a really beautifully staged, but yeah. everything that she does in that is terrific. Um, she plays Letty, who um, is sort of a the the black sheep of her family who kind of travels around, is always constantly in need of money, but is also not the best at familial relations with members of her family because she skipped out on her mom's funeral um, for reasons that are not super clear yet, um, aside from various hints within this premiere. Um, so I think just on an acting level, the show is definitely worth checking out. There's a number of other like supporting cast members that were introduced to in Chicago that I think immediately make for a really lovely and populated world that I just want to spend so much more time in. Oh, oh no. Those characters yeah. will, most of the ones I'm guessing that you're thinking of, yeah. will each get their own episode. Yeah. And I'm, I'm super excited about that. Um, based on the trailer that runs after the premiere, but also on this idea of like, my partner and I were both just like, wait, how does this circle back to Chicago? Because all these people are popping up <laughs> in the trailer, but yet they are not on this road trip. Um, so this idea of like a contained sort of anthology series, but it's all the same characters across all the stories, I think is a really interesting structural concept. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. Um, on like... All of that, I think, works really well. So everything with uh, Letty, um, Tick, and with George traveling to um, New England-ish area to yeah, find... Yeah, Massachusetts. Artem. Massachusetts. Um, to find um, Atticus's dad um, after getting a weird letter from them. Um, and navigating all of the sheer amount of like racism... Um, mm-hmm. That we get with Sundown Towns, as you alluded to, and that gripping, gripping sequence trying to get across the border of a county, which is great, and then ends exactly how you think it's going to end. Um, because I, 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 I knew how it was going to end even before they got across those tracks, um, because that's how it was. That's how it would end anyway. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't make that. I was so in the moment that I wasn't even thinking about it. Yeah. Whereas. Yeah, whereas I immediately went, oh, yeah, I know this is a moment of victory. It's not. Um, yep. um, so I think that given the fact that so much of this first episode, which is a, roughly an hour long, I think, um, sp- spends its time on the mundane horror of being Black in America, um, particularly within, um, like, the 1960s, Um that or sorry the 1950s i jumped ahead a decade yeah (laughs) um that it ratchets up that tension really really well and so when you get the final actual horror the traditional lovecraftian horror stuff um i still really like it but it also goes wait we took a swerve here i like the swerve but it's still a swerve that in my brain I was kind of trying to reconcile a little bit of the very matter of fact way that everything happens, but also the deeply comedic way Mm -hmm. for me in a lot of ways of how things shift from the uncertainty of how to navigate the spaces that our trio are in prior to the Lovecraftian horror elements kicking into gear to 
how they immediately shift into almost a genre of savviness that I find really compelling and really interesting that I'm really eager to see how that unspools as the show continues. How did you feel about this episode? Are you going to come back for more? Because I was immediately going to jump to, how did you feel about like the last 10 minutes of this episode? (laughs) But I don't know how you felt about the preceding 50 minutes. So I'd like to know how you felt about this episode. Oh no, this is so my shit. I love it it so much. Um, I'm actually really curious because I know a friend of the show, Angelica Jade Bastien, did not like it. Yes. Uh, Yeah. And I need to read her. Did she write it up? I when I last saw her talking about it was on Twitter. She was in the process of writing something about yeah. it. I need to seek that out because um, I'm really curious what she has to say about it. I'm sure it'll be uh, really interesting uh, to read and um, reflect upon. Um, but I I really enjoyed it, and I think having like it's it's I haven't seen this movie, but it's a very From Dusk Till Dawn where it's like yes, that's a great comparison freaking vampires right all of a sudden you're in a different genre um that's what this episode does and i think my level of connection with the next episodes um will be very tied to how um whether they pull back into the tone of the beginning or stay purely in the tone of the end and i expect them to go back towards something in the middle or just now we have more but it, you know it's a very um heightened and zany and comedic and like balls to the wall kind of energy at the at the end of the episode and then they start a new you know you get to the end of the episode and then now we're just into something completely new and who even knows what it is i would expect that the dread and the um uh stakes and like the 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 attempts to navigate like you were saying uh dangerous and but also at times apparently like seemingly safe but untrustworthy world, untrustworthy space, right? That we see in so much of the the road trip before then, which isn't even like the beginning of the episode, but like once they hit the road, that I w- would expect will retain. Just now, it's also is there a monster and with too many eyes waiting for you in the woods? You know, like with both of those. So we'll see what happens. I've seen a, a range of responses. I've seen some people who really love the show. I've seen some people, I'm talking of course with people who have seen screeners. So I've seen the first five episodes is what they made available to critics. Um, some people who are like, yeah, the premiere is great, but it's the best one. It goes downhill from there. Um, and then some people who didn't like it. So I'm really curious to see, you know, what happens next. I, I know the, you know, cause I'm, I, I, I mean, I looked up the plot synopsis, but I, uh, for, for like the, at least for the book, kind of what happens, um, which is actually just made me more intrigued about it, not less. So, um, I'm looking forward to what's coming next, but I, it's just so well acted. It's so lived in. It's, it feels very like, it, it feels really tactile when you see them like, like, opening the the comic book that the daughters made for uncle George and reading it and um, just sitting like the, the smaller moments feel really engaging. Um, The song, the, the performance of uh, Letitia and and Letty and her sister, uh, that's Ruby, right? Um, Is really, really terrific. Uh, I love, this is something that uh, I heard, um, Tom Lorenzo talk about on their podcast because they'd seen screeners. Um, I love that all of the main characters of the family are nerds. Uh, so we've got the the horror fiction fan 
um, in Tick, you've got the uh, um, obviously a, a word a, like language nerd um, for George. And then his wife is into astronomy and has a telescope. The daughter draws her own comic books. Like everybody's everybody's a nerd. And I think it's great. I think it's super fun um, because they don't make a point of it. It's just kind of part of what they enjoy and it fleshes out who these characters are. Um, yeah, it's really, it's really neat and really fun. Uh, so I, I'm very, I'm very compelled. I, and, and again, like I said, if you just want to watch it for the gorgeous, gorgeous outfits that they all get to, they all look amazing. Of course, they're all gorgeous people, um, just like physically attractive people. But like the, the looks that they have them in are um, not distractingly, something that you go like, could they really afford that? Um, but they, they all look good. They're not trying to make them look like they've been in the car all day driving. You know, they pull up, they go, they go in for lunch and they're looking fabulous, you know? Um, so there's plenty of eye candy for the, the aesthetic the period piece aesthetics crowd. Um, you like just the cars and everything too. Um, and I'm very intrigued for, for what's going to happen next. The, uh, like you said, the genre awareness, is terrific when they're like, um, oh, they're they're like weird Lovecraft monster vampires, basically. What are vampire rules again? I love that they yeah. just like have that knowledge. They dive in with that. They don't um, try to deny what's happening um, when things take a turn. And yeah, it's it's great. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm I really enjoyed it too. And I've seen the same sort of thing that you've seen, in which a lot of people that have seen, I think the first five were made available um, to critics with that kind of access were like, yeah, I mean, it's good. Some of the time sort of like, is that feel? Um, And I am like actively curious about like how things shake out on this. Um, Because I think that there's that opening, which we haven't discussed, but that opening is really wild. I think in a, just a sheer number of ways. And I really like it, but I'm really curious about how the rest of that gets incorporated into like that Lovecraftian thing, because one of my larger problems with Lovecraft, uh, which is the main reason why I don't actively engage with Lovecraft is that it requires a lot of like purposeful alienation that I've never wanted. Um, So I'm really curious about how that gets fit into this story about black people in the 1950s um and whether or not there's a compatibility or a disconnect between those things and how that all fits um so i'll i'm i'm definitely want to watch more um and just see what will happen there um yeah um yeah Anyway, but I really do like this episode. Um, And I think that there is a lot of really interesting things within it, but I'm deeply curious about the overall reaction to it. Um, Yeah. This is one I look forward to reading people's takes, reading people's thoughts. And it's just, again, also what kind of viewing are you looking to do right now? This is very thoughtful. This is very curious. And it is... uh, bonkers ridiculous too and it's pretty you know so like if i want to engage with it really meaningfully um so far at least that first episode has plenty that to engage with 
and there's plenty going on. If you want to engage with the performance and the craft of it, there's stuff going on. Um, and if you just want to look at the pretty people wearing the pretty clothes, singing yes. the cool music, you can and chasing the the gross scary monsters, <laughs> running away from the gross scary monsters, you can just do that too. So um, yeah. I have to figure out when I'm going to watch it because watching it right before I go to bed is not a good idea for me. So yeah. um, basically as long as there's a last week tonight and I can just like come down with last week tonight, you know, back into the horrifying realities of our world um, as opposed to the historical and larger thematic trends that they will be exploring, I assume in, in Lovecraft country that may help with at least the Lovecraft monsters if not the metaphorical, like if not the actual monsters that those monsters are meta are metaphorically paralleling. So, um, yeah. Yay. On that cheery note, what wins your weekend TV? Um, I'm going to get to the episodes of infinity train that I watched, um, almost all of yesterday, <laughs> <laughs> um, prior. Yeah. So that one's my weekend TV is the stuff I watched for infinity train. What about you? I'm going to give it to Lovecraft country. Um, yeah, really looking forward to, more. I'm kind of bummed, like, this is not a show for my mom because of the monsters. Yeah. And my dad doesn't want to watch it either because of the monsters. Um, so I'm kind of bummed. <laughs> it's one of those ones I would love to be able to sit down with people in person with, like, a bowl of popcorn. And she's like, shut up, stop talking. And then we can all talk about it afterwards kind of thing. So, oh, well. This is what the internet is for, right? This is why we tweet. On that note, let's take a break. Listen to the trailers. Uh, actually, we'll just start with the trailer for Peep Show Season 1, or Peep Show, and we'll be right back with the Make You watch a -thon. I love you, Mark. I like you too, Jez. Will you two stop electrocuting each other? I need help. I need therapy. I'm going to become a therapist. It's just another dream, like being a pop star or a front-bottom inspector. If you sometimes want to do something, you should do it. What you sometimes think you should do is what you should do. You ruined my life! <clears throat> Just got to nip to the disgustatorium. No need to think about what I'm going to do. I think I need to do a poo. You're not pooing in this bunker. If you poo in the bunker, I will shoot you. No! Oh. I love you, Celia. So great for a first date. What is my fantasy? It's basically just humping. I love humping. Right. You're a sexual pervert, Jeremy. You mean, in a bad way? Let's just hunker down and veg out. That was the trailer for Peep Show. I tried to find a season one trailer and I could, could not. It was challenging. So that's a Peep Show trailer overall, I believe. Um, this is a Channel 4 show that uh, aired back in 2003. It is from Mitchell and Webb, who are a comedy duo in the UK, David Mitchell and Robert Webb, um, which you might know from that Mitchell Webb look from the one of my favorite, favorite sketches uh, I think that I've ever seen, which is the one with the two Nazis talking. And the yes. one notices they have skulls and he goes, wait a second, are we the baddies? <laughs> Why do we? All, why do all our costumes? Why is it so ominous? Um, our, our uniforms, I should say. They don't know their costumes, anyways. Um, so I'm I'm a fan of these two, and I've heard lots of things about Peep Show. It is a really respected and admired and appreciated show. Um, so I figured, hey, I've never seen it. The first season is six episodes. Make you watch it on is coming up. Perfect. Let's watch it. Um, so I made you watch this, and 
I think from our brief conversations, I like it more than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but my overall takeaway was basically like, when was this? 2003? Yes, that makes sense. Um, yes. And I can see how this was really big then and how it helped uh, shape the progression of, of like hangout sitcoms and British comedy um, and American uh, comedy. And I can also really, really feel the 2003 of it all. I would probably have liked this a lot more if I watched it in 2003 than watching it now. Um, I'm not going to go so far as to say, sorry for making you watch it because I don't think it's that bad. I think there's interesting things about it, but I it definitely, after years of people like kind of mentioning it in passing that it's really good. Um, I, I was definitely disappointed in this one. And I'm curious if it's just a season one thing and it kind of fi- finds its place and gains steam as it goes along. I mean, it lasted for 10 seasons or if no, it just is what it is and it gets more refined and, you know, kind of uh, gets clear eyes about some of its subjects later on, but it's still this. Um, so we'll see if I'm curious enough to go back to it, circle back to it. But uh, I definitely watched the first season in a couple days and was like, yep, g- glad to be taking a break. Uh, what did you think of Peep Show? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I did not like this. Um, there's a couple of things within it that um, that are like, this is not a noble show type of thing. Um, the first very much being it's kind of a cringe comedy show and cringe comedy is always really hit or miss. Um, especially I, I think in general, but for me in particular, cringe comedy is very difficult for me to respond to as comedy. Um, so the, there was that aspect of it. Um, then there's just the fact that um, Mark and Jez who are played by uh, Mitchell and Webb respectively are both terrible human beings. They're really bad. Um, and so while I do believe that Peep Show is ultimately a critique of their behavior, it is also very easy to read it as sort of an endorsement of their behavior. Um, and which reminds me a lot of like um, another show that I think kind of operates in a sort of similar vein of critiquing this kind of behavior while being kind of a cringe comedy and while still feeling like it's borderline glorifying it on that's vice principles, which aired on HBO Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, a few years ago now at this point, um, which was also something that I did not care for, for a number of levels. If you want to know what those were, go back to listen to our 2016 um, episodes. We discuss it, I think for like a couple of episodes before I fell off. Yeah, well, I, um, I, you watched more of it than I did. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. I think I had, I you know, I think it's back when I had screener access to HBO and I watched a bunch of them. Um, anyway, it's sort of in that same vein for me. And so watching a 2003 version of a lot of this kind of toxic uh, masculinity type stuff was not the best thing for, uh, for me. And I ended up kind of being very put off by the show um aside from both both of uh the main characters but also just going olivia coleman's a lot funnier than this and <laughs> i feel like we are severely underappreciating how funny olivia coleman is and i don't appreciate that show i don't appreciate that at all um 
So that's sort of where I ended up with this. And I do want to like kind of start unpacking on particularly the show's um, big aesthetic choice that gives it its name. Um, and we should dive into that and the degrees to which that helps or hurts the show. Um, and talk about maybe a couple of the specific episodes um, before we move on to um, anything else we have. So um Apart from like knowing the show um, before diving into this, have you watched any of it before? Because oh no, when I, okay, because when I went back and watched this, I realized that I had definitely seen the first episode before. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine that it probably got screened for me um, in a class and during my graduate studies um, in one of the cross-listed um, undergrad grad classes. Um, I'm pretty sure, but. I don't think I watched anything else after that. Um, I think maybe I saw some of the interview, which is the second episode, um, but I definitely saw the first episode. So watching it all again, I went, right, I remember this show now type of thing. So tell me a little bit about like your experience watching it now, in particular with like the subject matter, with the characters, and also with the aesthetic choice that the show makes and that gives it its name. Yeah. So it's called Teach Show because you are from watching the show from the perspective of the two main characters and you hear their narration of their thoughts. So it, the camera is like their POV and you get running commentary of what they're thinking. And that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. It's, you know, contrasting what they're doing or saying with what they're thinking. Um, and And I can see how like, I don't know. I don't know enough about comedy from this time or and from earlier, but I can see how this would have been very new and fresh if there, you know, if that was like a new idea, which is what I assume it is from the discourse around the show. Um, I can see why that's appealing and interesting. Um, I can see why, like, I think there are some parts of it that are more successful with that than others. Like the, uh, the episode where Mark spends like the whole episode trying to decide if he's in love with Patterson Joseph and no, he just has, he just has a man crush on him, but he's just like, you know, it's, it's like when you are just, you meet someone and they're just very magnetic and you're just like, everything they say is the coolest thing ever. Um, yes. like, have you seen Stacy's new haircut? I'm going to have my hair like that too. Cause it's, then I'll be cool. Like Stacy, you know? Like, so I think there's some, some, some more successful, and less successful, you know, like, exa- like utilizations of that, you know, um, that was one that I thought was more successful when it wasn't doing gay panic. Uh, it's was, so aggressive about the gay panic in that episode yeah. and the entire episode ends on a gay panic joke too. Yeah. So it's like the parts of this, I think are really interesting and fun. And parts of this are like, Oh, oh that's right. 2003. Yeah. It wasn't okay. Then people didn't. Okay. Um, okay. You know, so it was, it was a very back and forth kind of experience with that for me. Um, the, the, not like the biggest, hindrance of my appreciation of this is what you already said. It's just how toxic and terrible it's lead to characters are. And I, it knows the show knows that they're bad. I don't think the show knows just how destructive and toxic and gross and disgusting they are. It's like the kind of thing uh, it just reminds me of like, um, you you know how like, uh, it's like locker room talk. It's like how guys talk, you know, like, it's like, no, that's not how guys talk. That's how you talk because you're gross and terrible or that's how your friends talk you wouldn't say that 
but you are okay with your friends saying that. So it, it normalizes this behavior, right? As opposed to, no, this is just, they're bad people. And I think it is aware, like, as you watch the first season, it is aware that um, Mark is a, is a jerk, but it thinks he's ultimately well-meaning. And yes. over the course of the, the first season, Jez starts out worse. And then by the end, he's actually a little more sympathetic while still also being terrible. Um, the show does not realize how toxic and horrible Jez is. Oh, sorry, Mark is. And that's a real problem for me. That's a big old uh, red flag, <laughs> which if something keeps me from watching more of it, it will be that. Yeah. And I think that's, I think all of that is correct. Um, my thing that I find kind of frustrating on an aesthetic level um, is that I don't find the point of view approach to be particularly interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Mainly because I think it falls into basically just doing shot reverse shot without really adding anything a lot of the time. Like I think about the interview in particular where it's just a chain of shot reverse shot um, that you can just do with voiceover and it's fine. Like, it doesn't really, for me, change a whole lot. I think there are other times where it works a little bit better. Um, Like, in particular, where um, Jez ends up um, sleeping with their neighbor, Tony, while her boyfriend is trying to talk to them about stuff he's taking out of the apartment. Um, And then the point of view perspective thing actually kind of pays off in in a weird, awkward, delightful comedic way i think but it's one of the few times that i think that the whole aesthetic premise of the show leans into anything um apart from some other instances like you mentioned the alan johnson episode um which is called mark makes a friend and the thing that i can appreciate again about the point of view perspective is that we slowly through other people's perspectives of Mark get to see him growing a mustache. Um, Oh, it's so good. (laughs) Oh, which is to say it's terrible and it's great. Right. No, it's a terrible mustache. Um, But watching that play out works better through the point of view perspective than it would Mm -hmm. through a standard setup because a standard setup arguably calls more attention to it than the point of view perspective does. Um, so there are times where the the POV approach pays off comedic dividends, but then it just other times just doesn't add anything to it. And while there are definitely arguments to be made for how point of view perspective in particular puts us in the place of a character. Um, if you read stuff about like horror movies in particular and how sometimes that point of view perspective of the killer puts us in that space and plays with that. I think that there are interesting things that can be made for that as an aesthetic choice, as like an uncomfortable choice. The, the, the ways in which that functions is like a power fantasy or like an uncomfortableness that also thrills us Um, in horror movies puts us in a position here of being people who pee in desks when they don't get a promotion. Um, And there's no, there's a sense of a power fantasy, I suppose, in that kind of an idea because 
we've all been angry at bosses before. However, <laughs> it doesn't feel cathartic in the same or really uncomfortable in the same way as like being put in a horror monster way. It just it feels more juvenile than anything. Um because the act in and of itself is juvenile. Um and I mean it is good that they aren't trying to treat it as a triumphant thing, and I think a yeah. less aware show would. Yes. But I still don't want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. It's like I don't know that there's much more beyond a lot of what they do within this first season that I find particularly compelling, which also just again boggles my brain that this show ran for 8 years. <laughs> um for sorry, for 9 seasons and without really much in the way of breaks. There's a 3-year gap between seasons 8 and 9. Um, but that's the longest break between seasons. Uh, there's like a season, a year long break between seasons three and four, and then it just runs really consistently. Um, so I think about like what the show's emotional arc looks like. And I kind of read ahead a little bit and just went, yeah, that sounds interesting, but I don't want to spend 52 episodes getting to that point of, watching these characters' lives as they mature, but don't mature yeah. um, in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not even necessarily sure I'm glad I watched the, mm-hmm. <laughs> this, but it was still a fun little time capsule. Um, I'm always really glad when we go back to something older when we do uh, Make You Watch Upon as opposed to something more recent. Um, so I was glad for this opportunity, even if we're only going back like 17 years, um, that still feels like a long time ago, um, in some ways. Yeah. Especially for this type of comedy. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I'm glad we watched this, but I'm also very glad it was only six episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, ready to have your brain hurt a little bit. Yes. Um, from, From the Wikipedia page, um, on this, um, in... Well, first of all, I'm glad you did not watch the first episode of season two because apparently, net uh, when this was on Netflix, they took out a scene of Jeremy doing blackface. Um, so that's in the season two premiere. But in let's see, um, it was nominated for a bunch of awards. The Guardian sure. named it the best comedy of the decade at the time. The Times uh, named it the 15th best TV show of the 2000s. I'm assuming that's the Times of London. Um, in 2019, it was named the 13th greatest British sitcom of all time in a Radio uh, Times poll. Sure. And uh, the in 2019, The Guardian ranked it the ninth best out of a hundred TV shows of the 21st century. So. Wow, guys. I mean, in everyone's defense, the Television Critics Association declared Heroes the best new drama. Of- hey, <laughs> Heroes had a promising start. It had a very promising first few episodes. Yes. <laughs> and nobody watched more than that. There's too many shows. Um, but but I mean, come on, a, a retrospective of the hundred hundred greatest shows yes. of all time, and this is number nine. Yeah, they're seeing a different of, show. Than what yeah, we saw. there's a different show, but there's also just the fact that at that point you've got more of the show to judge it on. Based on this first season, I don't understand that. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, and we mentioned Olivia Coleman. She's fantastic, of course. And I do really enjoy Mitchell and Webb, just not these characters. Right. And I like I like Webb in particular a lot when I've seen him on other things. Um, but um, yeah, it's just meh. Yeah. Um, apparently, uh, Coleman gets a lot more to do in the later seasons. That character really takes a left turn. And they're like, yeah. let's let her be funny instead of having to be like the normal one that they bounce off of. Um, but again, I don't know that I will go seek out yeah. more of it. And you so. get hints of that every now and then, particularly in the end of the first season where she's getting a little bit more to play. Um, she's really, really good. But you're also just like, let her be funny. Because she's really funny. Let Oscar Award winner Olivia Coleman be funny, please. Um, The other show that this brought to mind for me, um, because of just the look, not the way it's shot, but the look, is Spaced. And I was just like... Oh, sure, 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 sure. Because Spaced, of course, is from 1999 and 2001. Um, And and, and it's got that, like slacker bro relationship right mm-hmm. um it amongst the two male leads of that even if not the core d- duo um but um it's like yeah i would watch space so many more times <laughs> before i watch peep show more um so uh they're doing very different things they aren't trying to be similar shows at all just there's they're just both comedies from a similar span of time and mm-hmm. uh start with with male duos who are who are slackers um or who have quirks to them the thing is is that the characters in spaced um are not toxic and terrible they're just they have flaws they have faults they aren't actively horrible um so yeah anyways I like how by the end of this conversation, I'm even lower on Peep Show than I was when I started. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Don't apologize. This was a good thing. Uh, now we'll take a break real quick and listen to the trailer for The Promised Neverland and come back and talk about season one. We love her as our mother, even though she isn't. We all live together, but we're not related. This is Gracefield House, a place for children without parents. We may not be linked by blood, but we're still family. This loving house was my home. However, a single truth turned our world upside down. My home was a cage. A white uniform. The ID numbers. Tests that are held every day. A forbidden gate. A surrounding fence. A rule keeping us inside. A hidden design to our lives. You're both going to die! You knew from the start. That won't happen. I'll make sure of it and do whatever it takes. Let's change the world. We'll plan to escape with everyone. The Promised Neverland. That was the trailer for The Promised Neverland, which uh, listeners may remember Noel talked about when it aired in 2019. So obviously you are a fan of this. I would throw it to you, except that you have already talked about it. So I will say um, Noel is continuing listeners. Noel is continuing his quest to find the anime that touches my dark, cold soul. And that isn't Cowboy Bebop. That isn't Cowboy Bebop, which I mean, so very few shows can be Cowboy Bebop. Right. Yes. Um, And, and, Honestly, it's not the reason I love Cowboy Bebop so much are some of the visuals and that music. So yeah. have music that good, guys, and they'll do a lot of the lifting for you. 
Yeah, um, well, I mean, then I can only give you Samurai Champloo, which you've, <laughs> I think already seen. I don't think I have. That sounds familiar, okay. but I don't know. I don't think I have. Um, anyways, so I liked this. I did not love it the way you wanted me to. You were hoping that I would. Um, but I found it because I think there are times when, I'm, when it wanted me to connect stronger, I pulled back from the show mm-hmm. with some of their choices. Um, not in the narrative, but in the execution and in how things were delivered like when i'm supposed to be connecting more to don i'm just going oh would you stop talking yeah no, you're no, still doing your thing super fair and there are several characters like that where in when they're having their big emotional catharsis and moment rather than that drawing me to them i was like oh we're still doing this okay yeah that's fine uh, and it was a combination of uh my really connecting with and then completely disbelieving these characters as kids. Sure. And there's a combination of things going on with that. Where like some of the their behavior, I was like, oh yeah, they feel like kids. They did such a good job with that. And then some of their conversations, I'm like, no, I don't. This is yeah. And so because of that, because of that back and forth, like if they were just like heightened, um, not like real kids, but like they're superheroes for the purposes of our narrative, or whatever. Like they're, they're Ender, right? <laughs> Ender's not supposed to feel like a real kid most of the time. Um, he's supposed to feel like Ender. Um, then that would be one thing. But because it for me it went back and forth, that made it, it made me disconnect further from it. Um, but then there would be moments that were absolutely gutting and uh, really emotional and impactful. The final sequence we get for Krona uh, brought me fully around on that character. Not enough that I actually enjoyed the character or appreciated right. any of the time we spent with her, but where I was like, oh, that is an absolutely amazing way to send that character out. The inclusion of, like, the way the animation style for that, which we later see for Isabella, is really impactful, but having her be the only, I guess, uh, mom in training of color uh, that we see, the only Black mom in training in that group, heightens and adds to her isolation and her experience all the more like there's all this really um powerful imagery and and thematic work there um but i is this strong is this heck yeah i think i hated the voice performance when I, I watched in the dub yeah okay and i and it's such a big choice that it feels like it must be honoring something in the original. It is. Like, the yeah. original voice acting for um, Sister Krona is also very big. It's a very big performance. So that is um, that is a big reason why um, I want to get this woman's name. Because they actually cast a black woman to dub a black woman. Because I, I liked it, but it's because of that I knew the um, the Japanese dub. Uh, Rebecca Thomas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is doing the dub for uh, Corona. Yeah, and like, and it's and the voice makes sense with what's like it matches with the animation and everything. But I was, it's just a lot. Yes, it's a lot. And um, and I didn't like with, they're going for an ex- examination of trauma and pain, and she's clearly disturbed and trying to trying to mend cognitive dissonance that's incredibly destructive in her brain um, and, and hold herself and will herself into a piece after having been shattered over and over again throughout her life. Like, it's very clear that that's what they're doing throughout. Um, but 
then I didn't believe for a second that she would be in any position of authority. Like, who would hire her? Like, Isabella is also messed up in different ways, but she is able to do a calm demeanor. And so you could buy her convincing people that she is fine, stable and able to run things. Yeah. I don't know how they convinced Grandma that Sister Crona was someone that they should put in charge of people, you know? Um, and so, like, there, there were things like that throughout that really uh, distanced me from it. But there, I think that I use the example of Sister Crona because that last sequence, I was watching it, I was just, like, captivated. I thought it was absolutely uh, beautiful, very well done, uh, really compelling. I thought that the 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 late season pivot uh, with with Norman was very well done. Um, and I have my own theories on that that maybe we'll talk about when we get to spoilers. But the way that the way that the scene that I'm thinking of with that character is handled leads you to think one thing, but then the way the character is utilized in the finale feels like they're doing a different thing. So I think I trust the first instinct, not the second instinct. If you know what I'm talking sure. around. Yes. Um, but yeah, so like there was, there was some really, some, some fun and interesting twists and reversals. Like the characters, like I, I mean, I'm interested to see what happens to them next. Um, I will probably will need a reminder, but I'd be happy to watch the next chunk of it when it comes out. Um, but I definitely like, like I'm supposed to really like Emma, I think. And Emma doesn't feel yes. real to me. You're supposed to like Emma. <laughs> and Emma's fine. Emma's, you know, like she's very nice, but I'm like, she doesn't feel real. She, um, and like, and, uh, like the, this, like, there, it feels like they're building a, um, like a romance kind of thing of level of admiration and like peer hero worship between Norman and Emma. Cause Emma's so amazing and great. And I was I'm like, that doesn't feel real to me either. Um, so like, so just there were some of these, and I think it might have be more of like a dude, it's the genre. Like that's, it's, and heightened. It is. it's supposed to be like, then don't watch anime. <laughs> it's like sort of how I feel. Like the, the the critiques that I'm bringing to it, uh, or the things that that were barring me from entry. Yeah. So, anyways, so I did enjoy it. I'm glad that I watched it. I'm glad that you picked it for me. I can see why people really like it. I can see why you really like it. Um, and there's certainly some really um, stunning and memorable sequences, visuals, um, compelling world and narrative. Um, but I, I didn't connect with it the way you were hoping that I would. It's okay. Um, one of the things I think we should do is because it's been a long time since I've discussed this is sort of restate the premise of the show. Oh yeah. Uh, Good call. Um, since you tossed out a couple of terms that I think need context within the show's world. Um, so the show takes place in 2045 in this very idyllic, uh, like English country orphanage type of thing. Um, with this vast acreage, a forest around it, um, that houses like almost like 40 kids of various ages, most of them pretty young, um, that are overseen by a woman named Isabella, who everyone calls mom. Um, the other woman that we've been re- referencing, Sister Crona, is below a mother within the hierarchy of things, um, but is also someone who would work in an orphanage in this world. Um, Emma, Norman, and Ray, um, and you didn't mention Ray, um, are three, um, older children. They're like 11 or 12, 
um, when the show begins that discover something sinister is going on in their orphanage. Big surprise. (laughs) Um, And then begin to plan to escape from the orphanage. And the entire first season is all about how to escape um, and the ways in which they make those maneuvers occur. Um, One of the things that we should also note that and this isn't the first episode, so it ratchets up a degree of something's wrong here, is that the orphans can basically go anywhere they want within the estate, um, except that there's this weird, very short fence, mm-hmm. and then there's this ginormous wall um, that is the border of where they are located. That's all very weird. And then there's also this gatehouse that they're told never to go to. Um, that's ostensibly the only way out. That is all I will say, because one of the pleasures, I think, of this show um, is watching the narrative dominoes both fall and get rearranged and redirected, um, and then the various twists that occur within the show. So in a lot of ways, for me, one of the big pleasure of this show is those twists. Um, and how they get deployed, and how the show actively withholds information from its audience until it doesn't want to anymore. And then it reveals um, something to recontextualize certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, And oftentimes that recontextualization doesn't mean a whole lot. It's just filling in a narrative gap. But that is a remarkably common thing um, within this kind of a narrative as well. which is why one of the reasons why I think The Promise Neverland is also generally a good gateway show is because it trades on a high, a high twist factor in a puzzle box narrative um, that are appealing to a number of people who may not necessarily think, yeah, no, anime. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's kind of where to stop before if we're going to dive into a little bit of spoiler territory here. Um, The other thing I do want to note is that this is from Cloverworks, which is a relatively new animation studio. Um, They worked on the final season of Fairy Tale, which I think is watchable on like Hulu and Netflix, maybe. Um, But they also did the Persona 5 adaptation, which is good in terms of an animation quality. Um, Narratively, it's fine. But I mean, you're adapting an 80 hour video game. There are things that are going to be weird about it, but The Promised Neverland is really their big show. Um, that they have a sequel coming out um, that should hopefully start January 2021. It was supposed to start this fall, mm-hmm. but due to the pandemic, it got pushed back. Um, so Cloverworks for me is an animation studio I'm keeping my eye on because they do a lot of they've been doing a lot of really interesting things right now. Anyway, so yeah, let's like dig in a little bit on spoilers if you kind of want to. Um, spoilers, spoilers. You referenced a couple of you referenced a couple of things that I think are kind of worth kind of talking about um, with the show, and I'm curious to see how, like, particularly some of those twists um, played out. Um, like, and also, like, I'm really curious. Also, you mentioned an emotional connection. And that is kind of like where I kind of want to start with you. Um, Because having watched this show once already, I watched it again and I watched the dub this time since that was going to be the version you were watching. Um, I will say that I generally like the dub. Um, I don't think it's great, but I think it's, 
I think it's pretty solid. Um, but I do think that the original Japanese is much better, in particularly in some characterizations. Krona uh, is a good example, but I think also for the kids, it's a little stronger. Um, that aside, um, one of the things I ran into with this is as a binge show, I did not connect as well to the characters as I did watching this week to week and having to live with things for a week. Um, so various goings on, but also like the Norman thing where he gets carted off to the gatehouse and you go, Oh, well, I don't like that. But also Emma's leg getting broken and various other like late stage things in particular, where you get to sit with those things and really kind of have to deal with them week to week faded away watching it as a binge because I just got caught up in the narrative stuff. Um, and the character arcs don't necessarily work as well as a binge, I think, at least for me. So I'm wondering how you felt about this as a binge show. Um, but also like generally how well you felt twists and stuff. And you can be more specific um, now since we're in spoiler territory, how those worked for you. Um, it's interesting. Uh, for me, because I was less connected with the characters, I think I liked it. My guess would be that I would connect with it more as a binge Uh than not. Um, because like there are certain scenes where where I just felt like, oh, okay, this is what we're going to be doing for this scene. Okay. Let me know when Emma's done convincing them because Emma's going to win this even though, like, Emma's just going to, Emma's right, and and they're wrong, even though they're more logical, and they're actually right, but that's okay. The story needs her to, to win this fight, so in three minutes, we'll be done with this. Okay. <laughs> so, like, I was checking out of some of these longer sequences um, that were conversations. So, if, and I, whereas I was more engaged by the plot. So if I yeah. had to wait a week between each plot thing, if I if we were talking about it on the podcast and we could like speculate and the- theorize about it and like break it down more, that yeah. would definitely help. But if I was just watching it week to week by myself, I think I would get distanced from it rather than like can- feeling the pull of the larger narrative. And I think like the end for me, the end was more impactful because the the, the Norman was more recent. Because it okay, was more yeah. fresh, that was actually stronger for me. Um, I think that the, uh, I mean, like I can see how also just after not seeing him for an episode or, or two, is it? Then when you see him again visually, that would be more yes. impactful with distance. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I quick question. Sure. When did they start planning the cliff thing? Because they acted as if they had been planning the cliff thing. While Norman was still there, which doesn't make like the 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 zip line, which doesn't make any sense because they didn't know about it when Norman was still there, and no one could have told them that they should practice that when Norman was still there. Right. So there's a lot of elision within those last two episodes as they time skip through the last month and a half, um, which I think is both narratively necessary because you can't really do a whole lot that you haven't already done. Um, So 
the general the general thrust is that Norman laid out all of that plan to Emma in that note. And then she passed all that information on while posing as being broken, despondent, etc. You get that scene of her talking to people. Um, and then you get that scene of Ray re-snapping those things that he saw into a, oh, it wasn't a game, which is stupid because Ray's very smart. <laughs> and also because like he should immediately realize that, oh, how long has this been going? Two months. This has been going on yeah. for two months. Yeah, are you, you're supposed to, you're supposed to be the smart one. <laughs> yeah, um, in a different way from Norman's intelligence yeah. type of deal. Um, that yeah, so I think that there's that degree of um, ellipticalness that doesn't help that plot point particularly well. But again, in a week to week kind of thing, I noticed it less mm-hmm. as opposed to when I watched it all basically within a row. I did like seven, I did like six episodes one day and then I did the other seven literally today. Okay. Um, That's a lot. That I went, yeah, it's a lot. But I also like, because of like various other things, I didn't have enough time to like space it out. Um, That I noticed the same thing of like, wait, hang on. So, but they, for me, they're able to kind of paper over it because like you say, that whole final sequence in the in the finale with kids ziplining down with finding out that Isabella, how Isabella found out mm-hmm. and then watching her get mirrored in the same thing. And then that Ray bombshell um, and how all of that plays out, um, I think really kind of helps get you over that hump. Um, but it's also very much a don't think about it. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is definitely some of that. Um, yeah, the uh, so Norman's not dead, and I say no, that almost certainly because not. because we didn't see the f- flower that they stick in them for some reason, and then have the petals turn red. And yes. we did for several other people, which means yes. that if we didn't see that for Norman, he can't be dead. But the way he's treated in the finale, I actually really like because they think he's dead. Yes. So they're interacting with him. like So like the episode treats it like the way you would treat that character if the character had died. Except that it doesn't treat his goodbye as if he died. Um, yes. It very actively treats his goodbye as of, oh, go over here. Oh, no last final scene for you. He's coming back. Yeah. <laughs> but I also appreciate that he's literally in the same outfit that Isabella's friend is in in that flashback. It's yeah. just the entire the same outfit. And I'm just like... Oh, God, because no one's going to notice because the kids all grow up and get harvested for their f- tender, tender brain meat. Yeah. Um, we should note, everyone, if you're still listening, um, we demons you. have taken over the earth somehow yeah. um, and consume human flesh. And it's particularly the brains, those delicious, delicious preteen brains before the hormones ruin them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. I think that the they they do build an effective and interesting world. Um, I was waiting for the 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 there's a wall and then the other side is more forest. I figured it was like a projection or something. And they were in a dome or something. So I think this was yeah. a more interesting solution. Um, I think that the the creepy song I remember you had mentioned the creepy lullaby thing uh, is effective. Um, it, it to me it's not that creepy. Uh, but that just, I think, speaks to a level, like, the scale of creepy lullabies there are out there. I think it's, it's actually creepier pretty... in the Japanese. <laughs> oh, yeah? 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I I mostly think it's sad and pretty, not yeah. not uh, creepy, but that could be very much just the dub of it. Um, and yeah, I ended up, you know, and the more we're talking about it, I'm enjoying that more. Uh, I just, you know, I felt kind of bad as I was watching. It's like, no one wants me to like this more than I do. <laughs> I, once again, my cold dead heart appreciates it on an intellectual level and on a plotting level and on a visual right. level. And not on an emotional level. But I think that's fair. Like, I think that it's a show that actively, like, wants a really heavy plot response, um, I think, mostly. Mm -hmm. And if you have that character response, I think it's, I think it's better. But I also really do legitimately think that the show's more interested in giving you those twists and turns and thinking about characters as pawns and set pieces rather than as characters in and of themselves. Since even like so much of the, how the characters even treat themselves sometimes feels very pawn-like. Um, down to like Ray's suicide attempt, which gets undone really beautifully, I think. Um, but also kudos to those 11 year olds going, I'm going to cut off my own ear. And yeah. it's just like, what? They're intense, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cut off your own ear or get eaten, you know. Um, I will say one of the things I really, really appreciated and I I thought was an excellent and very aware um, way to write kids is both Gilda and Phil knowing something was very wrong. Yes. And not being able to piece everything quite together, but like having seen and noticed these individual things. And when they have the next piece of information they need, given to them it slots everything together even the four-year-old having like that awareness to me i bought like most four-year-olds no but some four-year-olds yes and um and so yeah i I really because again so many shows underestimate kids um i would rather have a show overestimate the emotional maturity of a kid than underestimate um, the capabilities and emotional maturity of, of a child. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot to appreciate and um, we'll see what the next season brings, but yeah. Yeah. Um, the manga is available in mm-hmm. the United States. The first, I want to say, let me see here. The first 16 of 20 volumes has been published here in the United States. Um, as of August 4th, in fact, volume 16 was published. Um, this first season covers 37 chapters so like five and a third of the volumes that have been published so far, it covers. Um, so there's still a lot to do um, with this show. So um, again, this show received a number of accolades at the end of the year, particularly like coming at the end of 2019. It hit a bunch of like best of the year lists, but also a bunch of best of the decade lists, like mm-hmm. right under the wire. <laughs> um, so I've been really looking forward to it coming back. Um, because it's just so good for like on a thrill level. It's really, really good. I'm really curious to see how the show builds on its world a little bit more, but also I really want to know about the owl guy, Kate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yep. That's a big plot thread. They just leave. And I go, I understand why you left it. I want to know more about it. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Well, because it's in, it's, 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 it's in in the closing credits (laughs) yeah well clearly they're gonna come back to that like yeah no they are um yeah but so yeah yeah anyways thank you for having me watch it 
yeah, thank you for watching it. Um, I would say thank you for having me watch Peep Show, but... But no. No. <laughs> That's okay. Thank you for only having me watch six episodes of Peep Show. Yes, thank you for only having me watch the first season when I made you watch 12 episodes of the show. <laughs> oh, now, I will never make up the difference with The Leftovers, so it's it's a small <laughs> thing. You God, know. what did I... That's right, because I made you watch fucking Clone Wars, I think, right? <laughs> was that the year I made you watch Clone Wars? Yeah, but you picked, like, ten episodes for me to watch or something. I mean, I did more of them, but what I'm saying is I will never make up the difference. You know, like, you're so far ahead of me that I can, you know, I you could double, you know, the numbers for a while and you'll still be ahead. Um, so On the upside, we did not have to keep delaying this. Yes. <laughs> like we did last year, where I was just like, no, Kate, I can't watch more than, like, an episode or two of this a week. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no. Like, it's just too much. It's, I mean, I love it, but it's it's too much. Um, well, on that note, oh, 2020. So much of it is too much. Uh, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of Leaks TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can uh, find... Uh, an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed up in Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can give us a rating review there. And we're also up in Stitcher. And of course, we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Be sure to check out Streaming in Place for the yep. next eight business days uh, for our <laughs> thoughts on Lucifer season five so far. And thank you for a great discussion this week, Kate. Thank you, Noel. And thank you for our fabulous ninth year of the Televerse. And Ooh, we'll be even though back. I've only been here for four of them. Yeah, but that's not the point. I didn't say <laughs> nine years. I said ninth year and so many yeah. other. Um, and uh, thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week for year 10. Mm-hmm.